My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be able to handle dairy. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, and C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at all to burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticepod. And as always, that's Burn Noticed with a D. Like the, like the D in a dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, no, you can't have dairy anymore. <laughs> I mean, I can, and I will continue to I mean, have I dairy. I mean, I still do. Until, like, I have such a direct, like, dairy-to-explosive diarrhea pipeline that it's undeniable, I will continue consuming dairy. But, like, Chris and I were just talking because we got Starbucks before our recording session, and I was telling her, like, it just makes me so gunked up, and I should yeah. stop doing it. So but you're not gonna. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna either. I also do it. Like, I mean, I'm I get... supposed to do not get a pumpkin cream cold brew during the period of time that pumpkin cream cold brews are available. To be fair, this, that's also the... The reason least... why you're doing oat milk that's in your why fucking I'm doing chai. Oat milk. Yeah, that's why I'm doing oat milk. Like now. a classic LA lesbian. Exactly. No, no, I think like, I did switch to that specifically for that reason, but it's still gunky. Mm-hmm. It's just not as... Well, creamy, like whether or not you're, you have a thing with dairy, like the drinking creamy yeah. things and then talking for a long time. Make, exactly. Makes you a little gunked up. But yeah, I I have noticed that like if I have a heavil, a heavily cheese laden mm-hmm. meal. Or some ice cream. Ice cream I don't have it as bad with. Oh, no, I, I also have... don't eat ice cream that much, so I maybe you haven't noticed it. What's wrong with you? Ice cream is the best. Well, the thing is ice cream doesn't last very long. Especially because like I tend to get like the smaller yeah. things. So after like one t- one or two times it's gone. And then I have to buy more of it. We're not very snacky as a household because oh, if we sense. have snacks, they will be consumed so quickly. Right. <laughs> that it's like there's no point. Because you're not snacking, it just becomes a meal. I think that's the thing with like ice cream. Most times that I buy ice cream, I buy it from like a seven eleven or something. Mm-hmm. It's more like it's an impulse buy. Yeah. And then like like, usually, like, I'll buy, like, a pint of ice cream, I'll go home, I'll eat half of it, and then I'll forget about it completely, and then, like, three weeks later, I'll go, holy shit, I have ice cream. I'll usually do that, too, but then I'm not in a mood for ice cream anymore, so I'll just leave it in there until it gets freezer burn, and then I have to throw it away. See, when anytime I remember that I have ice cream, that is, like, the best thing about my day. See, that's how Quinn is, too, but, yeah, I... I'm really bad about, like, food leftovers where, I, like, I'll remember that I have something and then I'll be like, nah, I'm not in the mood right now. I mean... And I won't be in the mood or I'll forget about it for long enough that it now no longer becomes an option, so I may as well not have it. I will say that I have that about most food leftovers, but, like, ice cream's different. Hmm. Like, anything... Basically, I have a different attitude towards, like, dessert leftovers than my attitude towards, like, non-dessert leftovers. Because as we know, I have a lot more rules about savory foods than you I have do. about sweet foods. That's true. You do have a lot of savory food rules. I do. I like. I can eat sweet things basically in any way you want them. Yeah, I'm a. I'm an equal opportunity weird eater. But like savory things, I have just very specific uh, food rules, or I just they kind of gross me out. Like I have like 
I have very weird, specific disgust reactions. I actually, this is a good time to ask you a question. Go ahead. Quinn says that this is strange. I don't think might it might be strange, but are you I'm ever so excited? <laughs> are you ever I'm so excited right now? You know, the feeling that I'm having right now as you say this <laughs> is the same feeling that I have when I remember I have ice cream. Okay, so are you ever eating something and like midway through chewing, it becomes disgusting and it like makes your stomach turn and you have to decide whether to like swallow something that now completely revolts revolts you or spitting it out and being... Oh, t- I've, I've had that happen. Yeah, yeah, where you're like in the middle of eating something and it was perfectly fine and you were enjoying it, but then like you're mid-chew and it's like suddenly my whole body has seized up and nothing has ever been more disgusting oh, totally. and it's in my mouth. I mean, I feel like there's a couple of things that do that for me. For one thing, again, one of my savory rules is about temperature. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if I'm hitting a moment on, like, a savory food where it's starting to get, like, oh... A little lukewarm. A little lukewarm. And then, like, there's some foods that I can only eat if they are hot. And if they're starting to get lukewarm, then suddenly, like, they stop being appetizing to me. And so that can become a problem. Mm-hmm. Also, I have a really bad gag reflex. Yeah. Hello, ladies. Uh, so sometimes, especially like if I'm eating kind of stringier vegetables or something, like I get this sometimes with like spinach. I love spinach, mm-hmm. but like sometimes like a leaf of spinach or whatever will get a little bit too far to the back of my throat to like trigger a gag reflex. Mm. And it'll be this thing of like, I might vomit, but also I can't spit this food out. So I need to swallow this food before I vomit everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like more about triggering the gag reflex than anything. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like that's probably part of my thing. But there, for me, there seems to not really be any rhyme or reason to when this happens. Like I'll just, it could be leftovers. It could be food that I'm normally eating. It could be normal temperature. It could be like leftovers, but like at the temperature I like leftovers, which is ice cold. But, like, yeah, I'll just be in the middle of chewing the same bite as I had the last bite, but then all of a sudden it will turn to garbage in my mouth. What about the next bite? Is it back to normal? Or is Uh, the food Usually the food is ruined. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Because, like, again, for me, if it's, like, a temperature thing, then that's the point that I will go heat up the food. Yeah, because that's the problem, though, is that it's not necessarily a, a temperature, a temperature thing. thing. That's it's interesting. Just, yeah. And so, I like, think you need to do some, like, reflection and figure out what it is that makes it disgusting. Usually it's towards the end of the meal, so maybe it is a temperature thing, and I just am not registering it yeah, as such. Yeah, or maybe it's, like, the thing is... But I've definitely been, like, halfway through a meal before and then been like, nope, I can't do this. The thing about temperature is that temperature is not just about temperature. Temperature is also about... Consistency. Consistency mm-hmm. and, like... The moment that certain foods start to congeal really changes the consistency and makes them slimier. And yeah, and I don't like, like I don't like slimy food. Exactly. And like that is a thing like where it, yeah, if I'm eating something that is in any way slimy, it has to be very hot. Cause like once it gets room temperature, like because the thing is that like the biggest difference between like sauce and slime is temperature. Yeah, that's a good point. And so yeah, maybe it is that and I just but yeah, I, I've noticed it more like recently i don't know why because i it's always been a thing yeah but yeah i'm thank you for validating that this no, is a course. thing that other human beings I understand maybe that. not normal human no beings, no but, but weirdos like us other human weirdos have experienced listeners have you experienced the moment of terror when you're in the middle of a bite and all of a sudden it becomes garbage in your mouth let us know you know it's funny you should say that <laughs> yeah because i feel like a third of the way through this episode <laughs> I had that reaction. 
So, I did too, and I'm <laughs> glad to hear that we are on the same page. I'm not surprised, but I'm so glad to hear it. So let's talk about it. Yes, please. What so, episode are we talking about today? This episode, season six, episode 12, Means and Ends, aired on November 8th, 2012. It was written by Jason Tracy. And mistake. Direct- Once again, a mistake. Mistake number one. And directed by Ron Underwood. Ron Underwood had a pretty decently legit career in the 90s. Mm. And then, let's see, he directed Tremors, the original Tremors. Never City seen Slickers. Never seen it. Mighty Joe Young. You remember Mighty it. Joe Young? Uh, of course I remember yeah. Mighty Joe Young. Exactly. The Mighty Joe Young remake, he did that. And things were going good. And then he turned to disgustingness in Hollywood's mouth <laughs> when he directed The Adventures of Pluto Nash. I don't know what this is. Wait, do you not know about The Adventures of Pluto Nash? Mm-mm. It's one of the, like, the famous bombs. Mm. It is a. I have seen it. I rented it from a blockbuster. Wow. Um, Dating like, yourself. I know. No, because it's really because it's such a specific moment in time um, when this movie came out. It is a very weird sci-fi movie starting Eddie, starring Eddie Murphy. I read up a little bit about it because, like, I wanted to figure out how this movie came to be. It was. It didn't start with Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy got attached at one point, but it's just, it's a terrible movie that's this the worst kind of mix of comedy and sci-fi, and no one involved making the movie thought it was good. <laughs> like, I, like, I was reading comments from the director who directed this episode, who said, like, as he was making it, it was just like, none of this is funny. Like, I kind of thought it would be good, but, like, it's not working. Hmm. No one involved. It's a terrible movie. But, yeah, and it's, like, one of the more famous, like, movie bombs in history. And this guy directs one more movie in theaters, and that is it. And it is a movie in, like, 2005 starring Usher. Maybe he was already working on it. Which I think he was already kind of working on. And then no more movies after that in theaters. It's all television. He does a lot after that. He does a lot of kind of Hallmark or ABC Family Christmas movies. He does like three in a row. Okay. He does... I mean, you can get consistent work that way. Exactly. He did Santa Baby 2, Holiday in Handcuffs, and the live action version of like The Year Without a Christmas or The Year Without a Santa Claus. Oh, wow. There's uh, a live action version of that? Yeah, there but is. But the claymation is so good. Exactly. It's classic. Exactly. That's what they remade it. And it's bad. I think this was on NBC or something. Hmm. But yeah, he's worked on a whole bunch of shows that are just fine. Mm-hmm. Like this Burn is, Notice. Like Burn Notice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where he is now. He only ever directed one episode of Burn Notice, and this is it. Interesting. Thank you, Ron Underwood, for your sacrifice. All right. Anyway. Or, pro- or not. Or no, thank you. No, thank I'm you. I'm not sure. I don't think that the directing the is direction the problem. is not. There are some flourishes, and we'll get to some of those flourishes, but like, before that, let's save the premise of the episode according to the Internet Movie Database. As well as the Burn Notice Wiki. The Burn Notice Wiki also has this exact same. Oh, really? Yeah, and I'm wondering how often that happens. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've never noticed. Sometimes the Burn Notice Wiki is more full-throated than the IMDb, but sometimes it's the other way around. Exactly. A former inmate asks for Fiona's help to take down a corrupt detective. Michael teams up with an old adversary to take down a treacherous enemy. I just realized that because I was watching this so late and I really wanted to get back to my house flipping video game, uh-huh. I forgot to add, edit the Burn Notice wiki to add to the alias list because there's definitely an alias in this episode. So while we're oh yeah, while, is. while we're doing this, I need to make some edits. All right. So start your little recap and I'll catch up. So we start and Michael and Fee are waiting at a beach talking about how if things were different, they could just be at the beach for fun. 
fun. And this is a beautiful first shot for an episode. It is. It's the no. second this season where Michael and Fee are on a beach and there's like a moody first shot yeah. that's like gorgeously framed. No, I but think this like, is even nicer. Yeah, no, this episode looks good. This is definitely like a film director who got demoted because he made the adventures of Pluto Nash. <laughs> but they're not there for fun. It turns out they're there to meet Tyler Gray. Uh, Tyler Gray tells them that Card has ordered him to ransack and burn the loft. And Michael loves the chance to, like, feed Card misinformation. Mm-hmm. Or, like, he sees this as an opportunity. An opportunity to feed him his worst nightmares. But Fee is upset because they're going to burn down their home. It's the loft. And also, she can't even take all of her snow globes. I like- yeah, that's the most devastating. Is yeah. that poor Fee, we know this. Like, this is a thing that's been consistent since season one. Is like, this is her thing. She has a huge collection of snow globes. She yeah. gets one everywhere she goes. Michael gives them to her at, like, important moments. Exactly. And, like... That's so devastating. They can't, you know, smash some other ones. She can't get them out. Like, there's no way for them to smuggle these snow globes out without tipping out their hand. Apparently not. But yeah, and Sophie is pissed that her home and her snow globes are... And she puts so much work into the loft. Yeah, she did. She is the only reason it is, like, livable. I do hope this means that we're going to get, like, a new home base. I don't want them to just go back to the loft. Like, I want the end of Vern notice for them to be somewhere else. No, do same. you think that it's Madeline's house? I assume that it's Madeline's house. I hope that means other things, though. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Sophia is so, is so upset about this that when her former prison mate Anne shows up at the loft needing help with a dirty cop who's harassing her, Fee is definitely willing to help even if it pisses Michael off because she is already mad. Mm-hmm. And she decides that, fuck it, if you're not going to help me, Michael... I'll go off and do this by myself. And that's the end of the cold open. We come back and uh, Greg calls Card and tells him that he's found out something that spooked him from Michael's apartment, from the loft. And then Fee asks Card to leave. And she and Michael both ask each other, are you okay at the same time? And that was cute. It was very cute. I like that a lot. Uh, Also a really nice shot. I remember the light being really pretty. No, this whole, and we go into this whole sequence where they very ceremoniously set the loft on fire and like it burns to sad piano music. And then we transition from the fire of the flames to the fire of Madeline lighting a cigarette at the talking table in her kitchen. (laughs) And Michael walks in and tells her that he burned the loft down. And that uh, she says that she knows that Tyler Gray killed Nate. Yeah, so sometime off camera, either she figured this out or someone told her, which is like, not how I wanted that to happen, but fine. But also, I'm kind of fine with it because it's kind of what we learned about when Nate died, which is watching her find out is less interesting than watching her do things after she found out. I guess that's fair. Yeah, like... It still doesn't feel like a very satisfying... Like, they made it seem like such a big deal at the end of last episode. But also, like, I was super not looking forward to them dragging that out. Fair. Like, I kind of... I was glad that we got rid of that right away. And just like... And also, it just makes Madeline seem smarter. It, like, you know... Yeah, but it just... Now it feels like a waste of time from last episode. I mean, that's... Fair, but not that much time. Eh. It was like a scene. But yeah, I generally, when a show dangles the prospect of like a lie being kept for a long time and then immediately changes their mind and says, no, not really. I'm usually in favor of that because usually a character is hiding the truth. Plot lines are kind of draggy and not that great. That's fair. All it is, all it does is it keeps other characters from acting. Now, Madeline gets to act, um, both like in both senses of the word. (laughs) But yeah, so she knows that Tyler Gray killed Nate 
and she wants a meeting. So the next morning, Fee and Sam go to Anne's apartment. Sam says he's only here to make sure that Fee doesn't burn down a police station, and he doesn't really want to help someone who just got out of jail. At which point, an adorable child named Amari asks him if they're the people who are supposed to help his mom. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny. Although, it really starts up a thing at this episode of Sam in particular, but also Jesse later, being really annoyed to help someone who was in jail for murder, and also really liking cops. Yeah, yeah, this is... Not great. Yeah, they they make a really big point of, like, cop killer. Like, we can't kill a cop. This is a cop thing. This is good. This is bad cop. This is, There's like- a lot of, yeah. And, like, and Garza, who is the dirty cop that we will meet in a, in a minute, mm-hmm. is, like, bad because he's not living up to the ideals of being a cop. Yeah, it's he's not like, like, oh, yeah, dirty cop. That makes sense. A lot of them are dirty. It's exactly. Like, no, they're usually so good. But How terrible that Garza bad. has been allowed to. Yeah. But anyway, we go and meet Anne again, and she reminds us of her backstory. She killed her sister, her sister's husband because he was abusing her. But it turns out her sister's husband was a CI. Her husband was a CI, a criminal informant who was informing on a gang to a detective named Garza, who hates the gang because the gang killed his partner. And this is very convoluted. Yeah, it's very convoluted that I actually kind of forgot about until at yeah. the very end when, like, he just says it over and over again. I was like, oh, I guess this is what happened. Exactly. I couldn't really tell. I thought that Anne's crime was more involved in it, but... No, it's No, like, not at all. No, she's, it's not. She's just sort of a symptom of him acting out. I mean, it seems more just like... He hates all criminals, and he, he assumes if she was a criminal once, she will always be a criminal, may as well. And only, I think in the scene, the first scene that we see him with her, he's like, you should be serving the rest of your time for murder. Exactly. Like, justice hasn't been served. So it's less that he's a dirty cop, which is how she sees it, and yeah. I agree. Exactly. And more for him about, like, well, justice wasn't served, so I have to push justice exactly. a little. Yeah. Really quickly... I was, I was, I was, yeah, I've been you clicking doing, around. You did a thing with your face just now. <laughs> I did a thing with my face. Well, so I was just trying to see if there was any trivia for this episode. There's not. But the top user review on IMDb is the title is Cops Could Never Do This. Could is an interesting word choice, but then it continues and it only gets better from here. Lots of violence. Cars blown by the burn squad at a housing project where a drug dealer lives. I did not watch the whole thing. Three minutes before it ends. So she watched all but the last three minutes? Uh, Three minutes before it ends, one of the actors swears, G underscore D, damn it. I can't take using God's name in a bad way to get your point across. If the episode was just violent, I would not have continued watching it, but I would have given it a higher score. The fact that it used swearing is the downside. No movie question mark, needs to express their anger by disrespecting the creator. Creator is capitalized. Yeah, I'm assuming she's referring to Tyler, the creator. I Yes, I am also assuming that. Just just seems like a, like a lot. I mean... There's a lot of things going on in this response. I mean, the thing is, I'm from the South. I'm very used to this. <laughs> like, I watched all but the last three minutes because someone said, God damn it. Yep, that's how it works. Oh my God. You have to understand that, like, I... At this point, will sometimes curse around my mother, but I say gosh all the time. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I go full fuck, cunt, whatever. Like, I will say, like, I remember I used to not curse at all around my mother, but when I found Same. that I couldn't do that anymore, like, <laughs> I would just curse. But again, like, I still to this day say gosh a lot. That's interesting. Yeah. Just out of habit. Yeah. I, I, I think basically once I went to college, I started swearing around my mom because I was like, you know, independent enough at that point that 
what was she going to do? And also, she was swearing. And my parents had just gotten divorced, and there was a lot more swearing all yeah. of a sudden. And a lot more frank conversations about what actually happens in our family. And, you know, we kind of just evolved from there. That makes sense. At this point, uh, Detective Garza arrives with her parole officer, Anne's parole officer, mm-hmm. and Sam, Fee, and Amari, her son, have to make a quick escape out of the laundry room by doing a really cool trick with the washing machine. A very cool trip, although I want to know how they got the hanging, like, stuff out. Because, like, there's still a clear hole in her wall and, yeah. like, a big chain of towels down the side of the building. Well, I think, like... Yeah. I don't know. That I'm not sure of. Mm-hmm. I would have to go back and watch yeah, the Yeah, covering the hole is one thing, but yeah. there is now just a conspicuous, like, in the scene, trail. But in the scene, there is not. Like, in the scene, it seems like it's connected to the back, and I don't know how that no, happened. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is now it's outside the building. Oh, Now well, there's yeah. a clear, like, Rapunzel trail. Well, yeah, but by then, at that point, it kind of doesn't... They get out, so it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, but that... Doesn't that look worse? I mean, she's... That there's an escape? I mean, spoilers, Anne already got arrested. I guess. But also, why did they need to escape? Was it bad that they were there? Um, Sam is just a guy. I mean, like, part... I think, A, part of it was that, like, they wanted to keep Amari out of it. Out of foster care. Out of foster care, out of that. B, like, presumably someone's, like... Once he sees them, like, that kind of tips off that, like, something is going on. That she has friends? Well, no, but, like, what if one of these people has to make a play later to Garza? I get That was just, it was not well explained why they had, because they were making it it seem like they were doing something wrong when they weren't. They were just, like, talking. Yeah, it's very weird. If they had made it more about, like, I bet he's about to do, like, because it's one thing, like, oh, he's there. Like, she, they can't possibly know exactly what's going to happen. Like, and theoretically, if more people are there, it's harder for Garza to, like, fake dropping drugs somewhere. It's really weird. I agree. If they had centered it around getting the kid out of there, because she's like, listen, I don't trust him to not pull some shit, but, like, the problem is he has the upper hand here, and that means instantly he gets taken away like yeah. they're not gonna leave my kid with you i think that was like the implication the, that was the implication but you're right it is very badly established yeah i had i was i had a tough time with this scene i am happy that Anne's back though yeah no i was really happy i was really happy when she called me criminal mm-hmm. you know i do ship it a little bit like that's not my main ship on this show but i do ship it a little bit who's your main ship well obviously it's like michael and Fee. like oh wow the basic ship i mean yeah but also there's not like any other good ones Sam and Madeline? Maybe. And that brief moment where we thought maybe Jesse and, and Pierce. Emile. Yeah. Yeah, I would have shipped that too. I would have shipped that too, but we they didn't get enough of that. They would have had very hot babies. Very long had... head hot babies. Yes. <laughs> Please continue. There's a lot more shit to go through with this episode. I know. So anyway, they escape while Garza finds some drugs in Anne's apartment and arrests her. And and says very loudly, like, you should be serving your time for murder. Because he's yeah. mad that she got out early. Exactly. Because as we know, she's actually not a rehabilitated murderer until she's been in for the exact time the law dictates. Yes. That's how it works. Once that, that happens, then she's no longer a murderer in his eyes. I mean, she's still probably a murderer in his eyes. Shrug. Anyway, now that the loft is gone, everyone is hanging out in one of Sam's girlfriend's buildings, which of course is very nice. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so Michael goes o- Michael goes over Fee's case and decides that the best play is to give Garza a new CI that can force him to do something incriminating to prove that he's dirty. Because mm-hmm. like we can't just kill him. Like we need any arrest that he makes to be invalidated, and yeah. also we kind of don't want him to be a cop anymore. So exactly. it's useful if he is outed for what he is. Exactly. Then, then we get then there's this thing. Then we get a very weird and gross joke. Where Sam says that they need someone who can pass for, and there's like a little pause, a gang member. And then everyone awkward, slowly and awkwardly turns to look at Jesse. As if Michael hasn't played a gang member like Like, every other fucking episode. Exactly. It's, there's a weird, there's a lot of weird racial stuff going on in this episode. Yeah, and it would be one thing if Alfredo Barrios Jr. was writing this episode. No. And it very much seems like an Alfredo Barrios Jr. episode. It does, but also, and we'll get to this. Um, I, I honestly wish he had written it. Because Jason Tracy injecting his little joke boy Exactly. Nonsense, makes it kind of worse. It makes it so much worse. Like, at yeah. least I believe that Alfredo Barrios Jr. believes this shit like wholeheartedly. And it's about redemption and justice and yeah. honor and the police state. Exactly. Anyway, Jesse's not super on board with any of this, and not just the racism. Yeah, and he doesn't even say that. He doesn't really, like, yeah, he doesn't mention the racism because, like, the show thinks it's a funny joke. Um, (laughs) But he is not on board because he, like Sam, doesn't want to help a murderer, which is frankly bullshit. But then Fee says that if he doesn't do it, then Amari will grow up, like, without a mother like he did. And he's like, fine, I'll do it. So then... But it, it feels like the obvious next step would be, well, maybe he should grow up without a mother if his mother's a murderer. I mean, yeah, it's this episode again. Like, all of the burn notice men are drawing this weird hard line that I feel like not even they normally draw. Like, again, yeah. we talked last week about, like, the way Sam is very good guy, bad guy. Mm-hmm. But that's turned up to 11 mm-hmm. in this one. Yeah. It's a Spinal Tap reference. I mentioned, you, you mentioned you hadn't seen Spinal Tap last I week. Oh, so, I have seen Alien, though. That The episode that oh, we yeah. recorded on Halloween That's where you true. were like, you should watch Alien. I That's right, Alien. you watched Alien. How did you feel about Alien? It's boring. It's long. Yeah, it's really long. I mean, it was fine. I was like, yeah, I see why people like this, but like, it was very long. I kept being like, is the movie over? It feels like everyone's dead, and I know she lives. So, like, is the movie over yet? And then there's like more movie. And like, I mean, that's like. No so- one talks. No one says anything. Like, most of the dialogue is mumbled. Well, I mean, yeah. It's everyone's like- very wet, which I didn't like. I didn't like the moistness. Space is supposed to be dry and sterile. I mean, no, there is a lot of moistness in Alien. This is very true. So you got to get on board with that. And I was not. I I refuse. Yeah, it was very long and there was like no dialogue. And like, I don't even mean like they need to have quippy back and forth. But it was like, like, I don't know who anyone is. Everyone's dead before I know anything about them or can remember their fucking names. I mean, it's like, oh. There's some, like, vague unionization stuff in the very beginning, which was the most interesting thing to me. And then it gets dropped instantly as soon as people start dropping instantly, you know? And it's like, okay. You're very proud of that, aren't you? (gasps) uh, But, like, nothing's happening. And I don't know who these people are and I don't care because they haven't given me anything. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's like atmospheric horror movie stuff like i mean we get i think we get enough early on i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna litigate how good alien is right now i mean again i i assume this is the kind of thing that people watch but like that it's not for me fair enough anyway uh talking about things that are not for me um (laughs) this next scene so jesse meets garza under his alias j train his name is like something else but i don't want to watch it again yeah exactly and he says 
A lot of dialogue that it makes me very uncomfortable to imagine Jason Tracy writing. Yes, that is the exact thought I had too. I was like, once again, and I hope Kobe Bell is improving. It's no, I don't think he is. No, Here's of course the other not. thing. At this point, and again, at this I feel weird about this. <laughs> but we have to talk about the wire. The what? The wire. The what? The wire. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> Because because oh, earlier in the episode, in the first Anne scene, mm-hmm. she has this line where she mentions that, like, she knew that they were in the loft because, like, she had she had some kids tell her. Mm-hmm. And she refers to them as hoppers, mm-hmm. which is a thing that they say a lot in The Wire. What is the, what is hoppers mean? Well, like, basically hoppers are, like, kids that are, like, involved with, like, drug dealing, but at the lowest level. Like, they're, like, children who are usually, like, lookouts. Mm, so they're, like, irregulars, but for yeah, bad people instead but, of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, exactly. But for, yeah, drug dealers. Got it. And, like, that's a thing they say a lot on The Wire. Mm-hmm. But also, like, presumably a thing that people say in real life. I don't know how big of a thing that is outside of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, which but, is where The Wire is set. Which is where The Wire is Whatever set. Whatever that is. Exactly. But I, so I didn't think of any, much of it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if, like, oh, they're just doing a Wire reference or whatever. Was, you know. But in this scene... Jesse offers Garza a chance to get a nice shiny medal and peace in the terrace. And the terrace he's referring to is like, this place is called, I think they later say that it's called Garden Terrace. And the thing is, a terrace on its own is just a thing like a balcony. Mm-hmm. There is, a, in the past, like the kind of houses that you get in New York that are kind of like, that share walls. Those mm-hmm. are kind of called terrace housing. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that... In The Wire, there is a high-rise housing project called Franklin Terrace, which is based on a real-life high-rise housing project in Baltimore called Lexington Terrace. And I think Jason Tracy thinks, from watching The Wire, that terraces are just what you call housing projects. I mean, or maybe he's just doing a long form The Wire bit because they've done that before. Exactly. But like in general, I feel like more than before, this is Jason Tracy just trying to do The Wire. Like, not. I mean, I buy that. I don't know if I buy that he just thinks housing projects are called terraces because he does refer to them as the projects a lot, which is how normally they are referred to. But like in in this episode? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, but also... No one just... Ref- it feels like an homage more than it feels like a misunderstanding. It, it, could be, it could be an homage. It could be a misunderstanding. But it does... It, whatever it is, it's definitely intentional. And it does feel like literally everything that he knows about drug dealing is just from the wire specifically. <laughs> and from Alfredo Barrios Jr.'s exactly. like, ramblings pre-caffeine. <laughs> I just imagine that Barrios rolls up like before he's had his full cup of joe and is just like mumbling nonsense about justice. Of course. Anyway, so Jesse explains that he's the new blood in town. And he wants to run this town. And so he's, he wants Garza to take down Sherrod, who is currently running the town. And Jesse says that he is currently tight with Sherrod. But Garza demands proof. And the proof is that he has to go into Sherrod's private office and take a picture of it, which honestly feels more like a dare. Yes, I than like agree. proof that he knows a person. Mm-hmm. However, it's guarded by a big bouncer guy, and so Jesse calls Fee for help. Meanwhile, 
Michael and Sam watch as Tyler Gray meets with Card, but Michael gets spooked right away as Card says an obvious code phrase, and Gray responds with another obvious code phrase, and Michael is terrified that his cover just got blown. He's even more terrified when Gray tells Card that he thinks Michael was onto him and asked to be let in, like the plan, but he does not push very hard for Michael's liking. So, immediately after the meeting, in a frankly stupid move, because there's no way that Tyler Gray is not being watched. Mm -hmm. Or this meeting space isn't being watched. Exactly. Like, yeah. Everything they do in this plot seems very obvious. Incredibly obvious. But after the meeting, Michael jumps Gray and asks him about the code words. And Gray just says that he was confirming he wasn't followed. And he says he has to go slow so as not to spook card. Mm Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Fee shows up at Sherrod's club and uses a, sham ca- a champagne cork cage to pick the lock to Sherrod's office and take, a pi- and take the pictures, while Jesse distracts the bouncer by approaching Sherrod and making an ass, ass of himself in a very Jesse way, mm-hmm. um, until Sherrod calls the bouncer over and they both take turns beating the shit out of Jesse. But it works. <laughs> it seems weird that like he's not thinking at all about the fact that Sherrod might see him later. Well, I don't think that his plan is ever because like he the whole plan is that he's trying to be undercover and take over for Sherrod so like even within the fiction going best case scenario they would never run into each other again yeah and I think but he does like say early on that they are close it just it did seem a little bit weird to like blow that so early but it's not that huge deal but it works Fee gets the pick and Jesse proves that he is best friends with the guy who just beat the shit out of him there is a weird moment that they call back to and I don't know why where like Fee makes eye contact with Jesse about like hey do you want me to like get you out of this you're getting the shit kicked out of you thing and he kind of like shakes her off and then later she asks him about it and she's like hey I could have gotten you out of that a little bit faster and he's like no no no, it's fine what's why I don't know what do you read into that because like they the fact that they mentioned it again is why I was like why what is this thing I don't know what this thing is 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 Jesse valiantly going above and beyond and we're supposed to read something from that I honestly didn't read a lot from it I I don't know. I think it just felt like she was checking in and it was just, he was being, Why? A, he was just being a boy about it. I don't know. Why? When you write something into a television show that they spend millions of dollars bringing to life, it means something. And I don't understand. I mean, have you been watching Bird Notice? I mean, usually they have a purpose though. So that's what I'm trying to get at. I don't like, think. What do you think Jason Tracy is? Why, I don't, why bother? Honestly, I have no fucking idea. There is so much going on in this episode. All right. Fair enough. Continue. But yeah, back at the safe house, Fee nurses Jesse's wounds while explaining the plan. They're going to get Garza on tape agreeing to steal a gun from police lockup, which will prove that he is dirty and get him arrested. Fee also says that Sam is working on a bug, and we cut to a scene of Sam working on a bug that will be planted in Garza's radio with the help of Amari, who also thanks Jesse for helping his mom. Mm-hmm. And so Jesse meets with Garza outside the police station and acts paranoid and says that he needs Garza's phone and radio and takes them both apart and swaps out the radio's battery for the bugged one. He then convinces a reluctant Garza to swipe the gun and the lockup to frame Sherrod with. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time he is specifically saying this is how we frame this guy. Exactly. You, a cop, go get a gun from an unsolved case. We'll use that gun. And then... And Garza already is acting a bit squirrely about this. And, like, at first it's fair, because I don't necessarily know how... I don't, at this point, clock how this is going to end. And even when we get to the end, I keep thinking something else will happen, and it doesn't. Oh, no, I knew that this is where we were going from this moment. See, I didn't. I I kept thinking something... Every time they do something, I think they're doing something else, and they're not, and it gets worse and worse. But, like, at this point, it makes sense that he's like, that's a leap. 
we just met. You sent, you gave me one picture and now I, you want me to like do a super illegal, obvious thing? No, because the thing is in this scene, Jesse makes a big point about saying how dirty that Garza is. And he's like, I thought you were dirty. And then like the way that he reacts in that scene is not like, he's like kind of uncomfortable with the idea that he's dirty I guess I, I missed yeah. that part and was focusing more on, like, I mean, it's fair that even it's like, a dirty cop would be, you know, well, no, because, like, have some trepidations. And, like, yeah, but, like... Like, dirty doesn't mean stupid. Yeah, no, he's, like, kind of... The way that he reacts to it and, like, the way that, like... Is this the scene where you start to suspect? Oh, yeah, this is definitely the scene where I start to okay. suspect. Because, like, it also just didn't feel, like, in character with, like, the way that the show was portrayed as dirty cops, mm-hmm. you know? And so, like... I realized that, oh, no, this is, he's getting, like, a face heel turn. Arc. Yeah. Face heel turn? Heel face turn. Is, is a heel, isn't a heel face turn where you turn heel? And heel uh, no, is no, bad. No, heel is bad. I think a face heel turn is when you turn bad. Because you were a face and then you turn heel. Right, but he's not a heel. Exactly. He starts, no, he starts as a heel. Right, but face heel turn is becoming a heel. I know, that's why I said heel face turn. I said it the wrong way first, and I was like, I think he's I think he's doing a heel-face turn. Oh, wow. I didn't know that that was a thing. I thought it was just one way. I didn't realize No, it goes was... both ways. Interesting. It's from wrestling. Yeah, heel... I mean, I know it's from wrestling, and I know what a yeah. heel is. I just didn't realize that there was a term for the opposite. The thing is that, like, part of it is that I think you, I knew for a long time that a heel was bad. I didn't know that a face is good. I guess that's also a thing. And so I, I think know. it's like... When you hear heel face turn, you kind of think like about face, you know, or something. That's my theory as to what's going on there. But <laughs> yes, I think face heel turn and then heel face turn. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Because I just Googled it to turn to confirm. But he convinces a reluctant Garza to swipe a gun to lock from lockup to frame Sherrod. Meanwhile, Michael takes Madeline down to the docks to meet up with Tyler Gray. A totally inconsequential scene. I mean, yeah. Nothing happens and nothing changes from this point on. And I also am. her her ask is insane. You can recap well, this. The, what's the point of this scene? Okay, so Madeline asks him why he was the one who was there doing the shooting and why, if he's such a good sniper, that he shot Nate accidentally. Basically, I think, A, we get a firm confirmation on exactly what happened with Nate. I guess. Like, why, like, because I think that is a worthy question to ask. Because, like, if it was an accident... If you're really good at your job, how did you accidentally kill this boy? Mm-hmm. This dumb boy who this loves graphic boy. design. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Okay, hold on. We'll get to that. Uh, Gray explains. Gray explains. I'm so glad you wrote it down because what the fuck, Jason? Okay. So Gray explains that, like, because of the wind, he had to use, like, a heavier gun and he knew that it might go through, but it was the only way to make sure that Anson got killed. Mm-hmm. And so that was the calcula- calculus that went that day. And, and then, like, you know, he wasn't necessarily, like, given the order of shoot anyone, you know, yeah. whatever. It was more like, you have to shoot this guy. You have to do it now. And Nate happened to be standing, and he happened to be using a gun that would get Nate as well. Yeah. And I will say, here's the thing. This scene is not well written. No, it's not well written. It's very strange. It sits I, I in the episode in a strange place. No, I understand why it's here. I think the episode needs a scene like this. I don't. I think like Madeline as a character needs a scene like this, mm-hmm. and Sharon Gless 
axe the shit out of the scene. This feels like something that maybe should have been the cold open. Because um, I feel like it sits at a weird place in the episode. I would have rather, like, Michael gone to check on his mom, like, in the first episode. The She's is, like, hey, take me to Grey. Here, I mean, kind of, but also, I, at this point, like, like Madeline more than I like anything else that's happening in the episode. So I was kind of relieved that we got this scene. <laughs> this respite. This respite from the dumb shit and the cops to have Madeline I kind get, of be but it, badass. But it, like, you have to admit that it feels sort of just, like, half-assed and randomly it is inserted. A little, it is a little half-assed. I mean, I think, like... I don't know. I think it is, like, at a good point in the pacing. Um, it does feel, like, a little out of nowhere. I don't know. But I kind of... It works for me. Uh, but yes. And she then exp- asks if she... If he knew who Nate was or Nate's name or anything. And he says no. And so... Madeline explains who Nate was, what his name was. Nathaniel something something Weston. Exactly. Um, that he liked cars or whatever. And like she lists some facts about Nate, including that Nate liked graphic design. <laughs> like, what? Weird. We know so many things about Nate at this point. Yeah. Graphic design has never come up. Never. Not once. Graphic has design Nate... has never come up on burn notice. No, that's true. Like... <laughs> What's happening? But, like, can I say, the closest that we've ever gotten to anything even related to graphic design was foil embossing. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, it's weird. And it's such a, like, a weird... And it's the last thing she lists. Yeah, he liked graphic design. Was he trying to do stuff in graphic... Here's the thing. If she had said art, Mm -hmm. you know... Like, the thing is, like, like that's, that's a, a benign, hobby. yeah. That's a, that's a hobby that's benign, mm-hmm. that's whatever, like, sure, you can like have, art. He, yeah, you can be an appreciator art. of art. Mm-hmm. Graphic design is a job. <laughs> was he trying, at no point was he trying to become a graphic designer? Yes, yeah, like, since he came back to Miami, it seems like he doesn't have anything. He no. doesn't have a job, he's not starting a business again, he's just sort of bumming exactly. around Madeline. He's not... He, and he doesn't talk about, like, making art ever. Because, again, it'd be one thing if he was just, like, appreciated graphic design, but that's not how it works. Yeah, you, you don't, don't appreciate graphic design. You are a graphic designer. You make art. That's, like, it's... What the fuck? Yeah, it's it's such a weird, it, like, jarring reference right in the middle of the episode. I don't know if it's because he just wore those shirts. <laughs> Maybe he designed his own shirt. Oh, my God. What if Nate designed his own shirt? That's also not graphic design. That's, that's, that's textile fashion. design. Exactly. And it's not, yeah, I don't know what the fuck. The other thing about graphic design is that it's super generic. It's, it's very generic, most... but so specific. But here's the other thing. At no point does she mention he's a fucking father. Yeah. No, she no, could no. have said, and his son, blah, 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 who now will grow up without a father because of you. Yeah. But like, also, that feels like... like a way more relevant pull, especially because I know that the son, the, the kid comes back. Yeah, the I nephew think, comes back to play. I think she temporarily forgot. I think everyone has forgotten. No, everyone has forgot that this man has a child. And an ex-wife named Ruth, who everyone fucking hates. Everyone hates. I think that's part of it. I think that, like, like they're willing to, like, give up on the child so they don't have to deal with her ever again. Because they just hate her. But, like, son... Graphic design. Son, gra- like, I feel like one of them holds more weight when you're trying to make an assassin feel to guilty. To be fair, like, she's not trying to make him feel guilty I mean, about... she definitely I mean, is. No, no, no. About the things that, like, he missed out on. Like, it's very 
the point that she is trying to make is explain the identity of the person that, like, the point that she's trying to explain is that you killed, like, a human being who has a full life. And a Those, son. Who was a complete person. And also love graphic design. I know. But mostly he has a son. <laughs> no, no. But, like, like, and so she's, like, trying to give him a full sense of, like, who Nate was as a person. And apparently that child is just not involved at all. Like, it's not important to Nate that Nate had a son. It's not important to anyone involved that Nate had a son. Like, it's not, like... Her only grandchild... It's exactly. a non-issue. It, it loses out a spot in the list of who Nate Weston is <laughs> okay. to fucking graphic design. Okay. Wait. Hold on. Hold on. I've got a theory. Okay. Yes, please. Is the child named graphic design? <laughs> <laughs> graphic design Weston. You were named after the profession I always believed I could have, but never achieved because I didn't go to college. You're named after the profession that I have enjoyed from afar, but did not want to pursue myself. <laughs> oh, God. And then she ends the scene by saying, as you write, that if he's going to kill people, he better know their names. Which, first of all, is not how that works. Yeah. Is not really anything. Yeah. Why is this the button for the scene? I mean, well, I would have preferred the... we end on graphic design, frankly. I mean, because that's the that's the scene. Like that is that is the theme of the scene. Yeah, but it's it doesn't make sense, and it makes her feel foolish again. I mean, like we start this by her being smart enough to be like, obviously that's mean... Tyler Gray. You just stopped mentioning him as soon as you got home from Panama, I mean, like... and there's some random guy with you. Obviously, that's the guy that to killed me. To be fair, me. though, I think part of the thing that is like part of her arc in this episode and what's been going on is that she is rejecting all of this. Like, I think like. It's obviously, like, he is an assassin who kills a lot of people. He's not going to know everyone's names. Mm -hmm. And she finds that fundamentally wrong and morally repugnant. That, like, it's almost a very sort of old-fashioned version of justice. It's, like, almost like a fucking Ned Stark, like, mm -hmm. the man, like, the man who says the thing has to swing the sword type mm -hmm. stuff. It's right. like the man who sentences like, has like, to be responsible. Like, your whole deal as an assassin is dishonorable. Is, is the thing that she is saying. and I, think, I guess that makes sense. That's not well done. No, it's not. But the thing is, I think that's important because, like, spoilers. <laughs> she's such an asshole. She is going to leave at the end of the episode because she can't deal with this because she has decided that, like, after Nate's death, that, like, none of this is honorable and she can't watch it happen anymore. And specifically none of the CIA stuff. I don't think oh. she's ever had that issue with him helping out. I mean, it felt to me very pointed towards the CIA the and CIA. the double speak. She's but like, I think so. But also, I think part of it is like, like she has brought him cases before. I think part of it's also just killing. Sure. I think like, but he rarely kills in his side missions. Right. But like he works with people who do kill. Less often than the CIA. I mean, that's true. And it's also, again, hard to say because this episode is so bizarrely written that I can't really tell why anyone's saying anything at any point. But at least to me, I interpreted it as, as a specifically CIA-based concern I mean, that yeah. is, seems slightly newer than yeah. Fiona's pre-existing mistrust true. of the CIA. Yes, that's very true. And, I, and, 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 and wrapped up in your interpretation of the graphic design scene, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and I think that's what they were going for. 
Interesting, interesting, interesting. Anyway, so Jesse meets with Garza, who shows up in his dress uniform. Yeah, this is a look. And says that he's not going to steal the gun because he's not dirty, really. And all he wants is his partner back. And he's going to go deal with Sherrod himself. And also, he hates Jesse now and punches him in his already sore kidneys and <laughs> runs off. Mm-hmm. And Fee and Sam come over to look at Jesse and they realize that they have to stop Garza from getting himself killed. Because if he does that, then Anne stays in prison, Amari goes to foster care, and, and, they, got a cop, and they got a cop killed, and two out of three of those things are bad. <laughs> like, again, yeah, this is the point where, like, the episode firmly places its mouth on the police's dick. Yeah, yeah. that, And this is the moment where I'm like, no, no. But also, I had forgotten how the partner was involved in all of this, so I yeah. was mostly confused at this point, and like, well, I get that we're going with dead cops are bad even if they're dirty, question mark, but I missed the part where he's not actually dirty. Yeah. Because he does, he is dirty. He, he is planted dirty. drugs in no. Anne's apartment. He yeah, is no. He demonstrably is, dirty. He is demonstrably dirty, but like, you know, he's a cop. <laughs> right. Of course. How could I forget? And his intentions are, quote, unquote, good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Fee runs back to the safe house to get guns, and Michael realizes that he should have been involved the whole time. Yeah, and he says this in a weirdly pointed way, and I can't tell if he's mad at himself or Fee, because it doesn't seem like there was ever a conversation of, like, how they were going to be splitting I up think, the teams. I think he thought he was... I think he's mad at himself. I think... I, I that's think, what I'm interpreting, that's too. What, that's the thing that makes more sense. The performance is weird. Yes. <laughs> Again, he says it very pointedly at Fee, but I'm like, did you guys talk about this? What's happening? Uh, Here's the thing. I think part of the thing that's going on here, Mm -hmm. and it's possible that, like, this was going to be more of it, or, like, is that, like, once Michael gets involved, because, like, the moment that Michael gets involved here is the moment that, like, Michael becomes Superman. Mm -hmm. And, like, so what is happening right now is that Michael is wrong. He's realizing that he was wrong, but in this moment, he has to be Superman, so he has to have the most authority while admitting that he is wrong. But, and he, so, but the thing he's wrong about is that he was chasing Card and what's-his-face around and not helping Fee. And like, But yeah. like him not helping Fee never seemed like an issue. They always split up on cases I know. when they it's have multiple really, things. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's not like he was like... Because if this was a conversation with Jesse, maybe it would have more impact. Because Jesse's been the one that's been vocally like, but she murdered someone. She should be in prison. Yeah. She's a convict. Michael is just sort of also there. So, like, the fact that the turning point is Michael being like, I was wrong. I should have been there the whole time. Doesn't make sense if he doesn't have an existing, like, bias against Anne, which he doesn't. Yeah. Anne's the whole reason Fiona's out of prison. Exactly. No, it's not about that. It's weird. It's like, no, because he doesn't have a bias against Anne. He just doesn't think that they should be doing a case right now. It's, yeah, and it's not... But, like, it's barely. Like, Does that, exactly. It comes out in maybe one line of dialogue? Yeah, no, it's very weird, because, like, Michael is so involved in the other plot. What's happening? Like. <laughs> what is happening in this episode? But, like, yeah, I do think the idea is that Michael realizes that he was neglecting this, and then once he is involved, immediately wraps up everything. Like. I mean, that that's how that happens, though. Like, we, we know this to be true, is that as soon as Michael gets involved, like. But the thing is that, like. That only happens when he wasn't already involved. Because if he starts out involved, things have to go wrong. Mm -hmm. So, like, it becomes one of those things where, like, if Michael is, like, not involved in the plot, then he gets to be incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. But when the more involved he is, the less powerful he has to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it maybe is... If I want to give this this episode any rope, 
it's because Michael Weston does best under pressure. That's true. That's a very, like, night optimistic reading of a poorly written episode. No, of course. But I can um, give it that, maybe. Yeah. So anyway, meanwhile, Sam and Jesse watches Garza literally says his prayers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jesse calls for backup from the cops while Garza gets the shit kicked out of him until Michael arrives and has Fee rig some cars to explode and radios Sherrod and tells him that his name is, and then a car explodes, mm-hmm. from the... From the department of, and then another car explodes, and I will admit that that is badass. I really liked this. Yeah. This is the point where I'm like, okay, so I'm confused by what's happening. Maybe what they're going to do is get all of them arrested? I was like, maybe what they're doing is something else? So, I was just so confused by what was happening here. Yeah. No, it's very confusing, because like... One, I, think I was expecting him to be like, when, when Garza asked him, who are you? Thanks so much. He would say like, and that woman that you illegally yeah. put in prison, we've been watching the whole time. Exactly. Get her the fuck out. I was waiting for that scene. That happens off screen. Yeah. And also, I don't even think they were involved. I th- the, the, ethos, the, the, the mythos they're giving us is that Garza has a full face turn, <laughs> change of heart, and just lets Anne out of prison. The thing is, I... That's so wild and right. makes no sense that I have to assume that there was an off-screen conversation where they explained what was going on. And then like, they had to cut it for time. Or, yeah, or whatever, because there had to be, or just because, like... Because then it means that they weren't they, involved in getting Anne at at all. They basically didn't need to be involved. Here's the thing. Well, they did because, like... Well, they pushed him to that they point. They pushed him to that point. Here's the thing. The whole time I'm watching this sequence, right? Mm-hmm. The big climactic sequence, which is fun. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, you did such a weird thing with Garza. I don't know how you're going to write the scene in which Garza changes his mind about Anne. Mm-hmm. And so they just didn't. <laughs> like, yeah. I think they like looked at the script and were like, that's too hard. <laughs> so it'll happen off screen and we'll allude to it. And no one has to actually reconcile the fact that we introduced this character as a dirty cop who planted evidence and got a character that we like in jail mm-hmm. and then became like a good guy. We cannot reconcile these two things. So we choose not to. It happens off screen. And I mean, that's fucking ballsy. That's a ballsy move. I'm just like, we could explain, but we won't. But yeah, so... Shrug. They don't. And so Sam and Fee meet a now-free Anne and give Amari a toy radio and explain that actually Garza turned out to be a good guy at the end. He just needed a push or whatever. Yeah, they basically say that like when you push somebody to the limit, sometimes they like do something horrible, which is what they were expecting you to do. And sometimes they realize they shouldn't be so close to the line and pull back. Yeah. And like um, that was an interesting turn of phrase, if it was fucking earned at all. At all. And like Anne is just like fine with it. Yeah, she's like, man, it's a good thing some people are good. Thanks for the toy. Yeah, it's See you so, never. <laughs> it's so wild. Actually, I hope I hope she comes back at least once. I do too, I but I don't her. think they're going to. I do enjoy her a lot. Do you want me to check if she comes back? You know what? Yeah, I want to know if I need to be disappointed now. <laughs> I think that you're going to be. I think I'm going to be too, but I would like it not to be. Okay, so finish the, anyway. the the recap of the next wild fucking sequence that happens. Anyway, so Michael goes to see Madeline. And tells her that now they're really going to be able to get card and bring ba- bring down the man responsible for Nate's death. And Madeline's like, fuck that, I'm out. I actually did like this. Because this is the point where I changed my mind about how I felt about the fact that Nate's death was an accident. 
What do you mean? So before I didn't like that because that means that like that this is all pointless. This is all pointless. But the this scene kind of turns that into a feature of Madeline being like, "This is all pointless. Mm-hmm. This is dumb. The thing that you do is dumb, and I don't want to have any part of it anymore. This is all fucking." Dumb. That was the last one that she was in, and that's very sad. I told you. I know. There would be. No, I was surprised she came back at all. I was too. But that was my point. It was like, oh, if she gets to come back one more time, then maybe like she could be an asset. And it's fine. And it's not in any more episodes. That's what Yo, we're now she's about. out on the outside. She doesn't have anything right. we need anymore. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I I hear what you're saying, and I and this is why I think that my read that specifically it's the CIA. Holds up. However, Michael does say some stuff about, and they both exchange some things that muddy that slightly. But my assumption is that, like, this is the season that breaks Michael away from the CIA for good. For good, yeah. And that's why I was thinking that it would be interesting for the Lawrence Demule plot that I had created in my brain and still think is better <laughs> would be interesting yeah. because it's about, like, how the government's ultimate, like, thing is protecting itself yeah and michael has to reconcile with like is that a system i want to be in where exactly. the, the accountability stops at us yeah i will say it's like about the cia i agree but i also think in general like the thing that she is like concerned with is that like the cia is full of men who have these weird crusades you know and michael is turning into this man who has just has weird crusades and like believing in these weird abstract ideas of like things that need to happen in a way that like blinds them from like the fact that like actual real people get hurt and that's the thing that we need to worry about and that's consistent with madeline from like early early but like i I guess what i'm confused with now is are you saying that she is making a a stand against everything michael does or specifically stuff he does with caa and what the caa is turning him into because her whole quote in the opening credits is someone needs your help michael exactly no i so we know she likes some of the vigilante shit not i don't think it's the like what do you think she wants i think she wants Michael to only worry about cases of the week and okay. not do any meta plots. That's, meta that's plot, what I think too. Yeah, but I don't think the I don't think she has a specific beef with the CIA as a mu- as much as like any meta plot at all. Like <laughs> I don't think I think that I mean, might be a little well, bit too granular well, no. of a, too meta of a reading. I mean, if you, I'm if you saying will. that, but like in the sense of like if like take a day by day, like yeah, no like, crusades, stop getting exactly. involved with assassins. Like yeah, if like he met like a if he uncovered on his own, like, a worldwide organization of drug dealers and felt like he had to take down every drug dealer, mm-hmm. she would be against that, too. Basically, she doesn't want... She wants him to stop Ahabbing, <laughs> you know? And Assuming that he can fix all the world's problems if he gets high enough. Exactly. And, like, that's the thing that she thinks is bad. That's fair. And, like, yeah, right I, now, I it's, like, because his focus is on the CIA, it's the CIA that's bad. But I don't think she has, like that many opinions about, like, the CIA as an organization. Which is too bad, because I feel like her and V both have legitimate concerns with the CIA yeah, as an organization. Exactly. From selfish positions I mean, and from unselfish, like, just observational positions. I mean, they do. And I think that Michael has has been amply given the opportunity to also be frustrated with them, especially at the point at which they just stopped investigating his brother's murder because, like, it's their fault and they don't want anyone to find out. Like, there's all this stuff there, and I hope they'll deal with it by the I end of the season. They are. But it, the problem is, is that we've written off these two women already as like, they're just 
mad that he's doing what they don't want him to do you know and like it's frustrating that they have been on the right side of this the whole time and i feel like we're not going to get payoff to that right and yeah i don't think we will because they've been on the right side of like the thing is they are ultimately right but they've been saying it for so long that like the fact that they're right can't be a story beat anymore like the story but like the problem is they were playing that for too long and then like now like it's like they brought that up too early yeah exactly yeah no that makes sense i'm really concerned that sharon glass is not in the show anymore i don't i think she comes back but if we're both assuming that their new home base is madeline's house i think i think like she might not live with his mom now i know i think that she will not be a she might not be a regular for a while but that she will come back. I don't know. I don't think this is the And end. I don't want to look it up because this feels like spoiler territory. Yeah. But I'm concerned that she's going to be in it far less. Which, I think, first of all, puts them in danger of fewer great episodes of television. I mean, that's true. Or f- fewer great episodes of Burn Notice. Right. And also, as we talked about last week, she's the best fucking actor on this fucking show. 100%. She's so good and she elevates everyone around her. Like there's good actors that are selfish in scenes. She is a great ensemble actress yes. because she makes everyone fucking she does. her level. She 100% does. Um, and I feel like, like, especially going towards the end of the series, we need more of that energy, not less. Exactly. No, I agree. I do think, yeah, I do think we're going to see less of her for a while. I don't know how long. I do not think this is the end for Madeline. I don't think it's the end end. Like, she might come back once or twice for, like, a special guest star. Yeah. But I don't like that. No, <laughs> I, I want her to be a series regular. Um, yeah, I don't... Yeah, I think she is taking a step back from suit. But also, I don't know. We will see. Okay, well, now we have to get to the but final yeah. scene, which well, is absolutely the, buck wild. Now, okay, now we have to talk about the final scene. Here's what I want to say really quickly, is that uh, I just watched this episode, like, a couple hours ago. Me too. And... I was watching it, I, I think possibly when you just finished it, you texted me mm-hmm. and said, like, holy shit, your episode. And I was in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that you were reacting to, I had not gotten to yet. Sure. Because um, what you're reacting to, I'm pretty sure, is the scene that's about to happen. Yeah, the, the, the last so shot, to, as it were. As it were. So. <laughs> Spoiler <alert>. Spoilers. <laughs> Anyway, so Michael and Sam wait outside and listen as Gray goes to meet with Card. However, when their bug goes dead really quickly and they can't use their cell phones, Michael notices a team and realizes that Card is about to plant all of this on Gray and kill him. Say that, like, Panama, all the stuff that, like, killing Michael stuff, that's all, like, a Tyler Gray solo op, whatever, and he's going to kill Tyler Gray. So Michael bursts in, in on Card and Gray's meeting and tells Gray that Card has a gun on him, which he does. Mm-hmm, and he shows off. He's like, mm, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, And there's newbie. a standoff where, like, where uh, Card is pointing a gun at, Card is pointing a gun at Gray and Michael is pointing a gun at Card. Um, but then Card shoots Gray. Mm-hmm. And then while Michael is still holding a gun on him, like, Card makes it look like Gray tried to shoot him. It was actually, I really like this sequence, because basically it's a hostage negotiation, and Card is just sort of casually, like, doing his villain speech, yeah. takes uh, Gray's gun, shoots two slugs in the wall, and then puts it back on Card, like, in his hand to, like, plant it. And it's yeah. so casual. It's so casual. Can so, I say... And it's, like, genuinely terrifying. It's terrifying. Can I say right here, right now... John C. McGinley is earning his money. Yep. Like, this is like... This is the best sequence with him. Yeah, yeah. This is the best sequence that John C. McGinley will ever do on this show. 
Because. Because Card tries to convince Michael that he's still daddy <laughs> and they can still work together. And this is when um, he really kind of explains his deal and basically says that, like, there always has to be things happening extrajudiciously. There always has to be things happening outside of the law and that, like, the government, like, CIA has to do. And so now that Anson is gone, someone needs to take that up because, like, the world runs on spies doing illegal, killing people and doing illegal bad shit. Mm-hmm. And without Anson, no one's doing that anymore. There's and so, a power like, vacuum. There's a power vacuum, kind of. And, like, but not just a he... power vacuum, but, like, a responsibility vacuum. Right. Which is the argument that he's making. Doesn't he also is... say that Anson knew stuff about him? Yes. So that this is a fully separate part of this argument. I think it's so, both. I think, like, cause... Anson knew stuff about him. But and also, so that's why he killed Anson. And that's why he killed Anson. But he does seem to believe that someone needs to be Anson. Which doesn't make sense to me because we don't need that. Like, if it, if, the, well, if, the, if at most it was, I've been doing illegal shit and Anson couldn't find out, like, that's why I killed him, that's fine. I guess you're, his, he, he does need something to justify it if his I mean, pitch to Michael is like, we should work together. I mean, yes. Part of that is that that is his pitch. I do not know how much he believes this pitch. Right. But, like, I think he does, because I think that is crucial to, like, the show loves cops, mm-hmm. but it doesn't love the CIA. And it doesn't love, like, the government. It does. Well, it does and it doesn't. I would betray my buddies, but the government? Well, it does and it doesn't, because it it has a distrust, of, it is a very conservative distrust of the government, wherein, like... The military is good, and cops are good. And the FBI is good, mostly. FBI is good, mostly. Because the thing is, that, like... Because even when FBI, he gets to the FBI people, it's like, well, the CIA told us to stop. So well, we yeah. Stopped. FBI is f- federal cops. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas CIA is, like, civilians. CIA is, like, or their own weird shit. And, and it's they're not, doing stuff internationally. They're doing stuff internationally. And, like, the CIA is deep state. Mm-hmm. And, like... They don't like Deep State. So, like, I think that's actually... This is not a thing... That that is not a phrase that, like, people were using a lot around this time. But I think that is really what Burn Notice is about, is an anxiety about, like, Deep State actors who are doing terrible things. Mm -hmm. And so, which is... That makes phrase... That makes sense. Bastardization of justice. Exactly. That makes sense for this show, for, like, the very conservative worldview of, like, Matt Nix. Mm -hmm. That's, like... So... Cops and guys who are just doing their job are good, mm-hmm. but like big shadowy government actors are bad. Mm-hmm. And so, it's like, it's fine if Sam gets people to kill each other, it's bad if the CIA gets people to kill each other, exactly. And so, like, um, because like he's not a good man, because Sam is a good man, good guy making a decision and like helping and Card people. is not, yeah, because exactly something. Because, yeah, the thing <laughs> is that like if you want to talk about like. The fact that sometimes things need to happen extrajudiciously, that's kind of the premise of Burn Notice. Right, that's 100% the premise of so Burn like, Notice. Michael's whole modus operandi in case of the week is, well, we can't go to the cops because X. Exactly. Because and there are so, limitations to how the justice system works that and so leave people behind. And so there is a tension there. And I think, like, 
Picard is playing on that tension. And I think that is a tension that exists within the show. Mm -hmm. Because it feels okay when Michael does it, but it doesn't feel okay when the government does it. But the show is not smart enough to really, like, dig into that. No, it isn't. And make any, like, statements one way or the other Yeah, that's the thing about the show. It's like, the show... It's so close. It's so... It's it's a lot like the way that the show handles abuse. Mm -hmm. Wherein, like... It's decent enough at diagnosing problems without having any sort of solutions or theories about why problems exist. Mm-hmm. Because the, that's actually like that's a good com- that's a good comparison. Because a really kind of crucial part of like the conservative worldview is that like the world is inherently filled with problems that one cannot solve. One can only look after their own. Mm-hmm. Like, like you could well, no more it's stop people over systems. People over systems, and like, yeah, and sort of rejecting any sort of systematic, like, action at all, or that the, that things happen on systematic levels at all. And right. I mean, it's like like people in my mom's community who are all very conservative. Like, they don't like social programs, but they will go out of their way to give free food to neighbors who are having a tough exactly. Time. So it's like, well, we can do socialism, but the state can't do socialism. Exactly. And it's that fundamental like just tiny little tweak you'd need to make to understand why this is useful. Like, wow, wouldn't it be nice if all of our neighbors that were having trouble could receive help from the people that we give lots of money to in taxation? Yeah. But, like, they can't bridge that gap. Exactly. It's not, like, there is a thing that's happening there that, like, is fundamentally they cannot do that. Mm -hmm. And that is what is the core of what's going on there. So that means that, like, the show can make, like, very valid critiques of the CIA, Mm -hmm. but also cannot envision anything outside of it and cannot like envision just like it's good but only on a smaller scale right and then like when shadowy government figures do it it's bad and so yeah i think that's kind of and that is really playing out in force in this scene um so yeah card tries to convince michael that like also darth vader like work with me i can still do this yeah and then he calls him son tells him son a bunch like you like because that's his whole modus operandi Mm -hmm. that he is actually michael's daddy Mm -hmm. and michael kind of like nods his head like yeah i'll do it card puts his gun away and michael shoots him in the fucking head like headshot right between the eyes Mm -hmm. credits what (laughs) like i out loud paused the the things to go from the next episode and went wait what (laughs) I mean, partially because of your reaction, (laughs) but also I kind of expected that anyway. Like, the show is decided enough, and, like, they've been talking about Michael being done for a while, and Mm -hmm. I think that's why the Madeline stuff is important, because, like, Madeline leaves because she's, like, and she says at the end, like, start over. Like, everyone is telling him, like, you need to not be doing this anymore, and he, he pretty much believes it now, that, like... This shit, he's been saying for a while that after Nate, this is done. Mm-hmm. After Nate, this is done. Nate is the last thing and then I won't be Ahabbing anymore. But he doesn't say it that way. He's just like, I'm done. But it seems like he's doing it for someone else and not because no. he believes that he shouldn't be doing no, it anymore because is, it's not actually, the thing he thought it was. I actually do buy from Jeffrey Donovan's performance that he believes it now more than he used to. Because I think it's not just... I guess the next couple of episodes will really be informative uh, in terms of because I think his ethos especially after fee like um getting arrested the thing about like the whole fee being arrested plot line is that it really changes like michael's emotionality towards fee and like so and like this sort of stuff because like 
at this point, he is really fully committed to her mm-hmm. and, like, the importance of, like, her in his life to the point where when he says things to her, like, no, I'm done after this, to me, like, but I But why that he's more. done, I don't know if I understand yet. To be fair, though, it's all sucks. Like, part of it's he's done because Fee got arrested. It's he's done because Nate got killed. Like, and he's done because... God, this is so fucking exhausting. Like, I buy that. But, like, the show doesn't distinguish between his side hustle, really. No, see, I think it does. I think, like. I don't know if it does. I don't know if the show does. I think the show thinks it does, and I think that you and I want it to. I think, yeah. I I don't know if the show successfully has distinguished between them. No, I think. Because there's never a conversation about, like, well, if I don't, if I'm not in the CAA, what will I do? Exactly. That's. Yeah, that conversation is not super happening. Once I think or part twice, of it, Fee has mentioned, like, let's just keep working on our own. Like, it's yeah. not like we can stop working. But and it's always like, couched in, like, I don't want this you to be in the CIA. Let's have this fight again. Exactly. And I think that that's what it is. I think, like, part of the reason that the show doesn't do that quite as much is, like, that's the whole point of the show is that he helps people. And so I think they a little bit are taking it as red that he would still keep doing this, doing but that he stuff. Won't because like they're they're big pieces of each other, and like the fact yeah. that Michael has spent six seasons trying to get back into the CIA and then successfully doing so and realizing his problems aren't solved. That's I think like it's yeah. like a vital thing to wrestle with prior to this episode. Because that think. is the thing. Like, yeah, because as we have noted many times, Michael doesn't want jobs. Right. Yeah. So like, <laughs> like you what to, like, Michael actually wants. Like, in the micro or the macro is very hard to pin down. Exactly. And, like, the show depends on that. And, yeah, I think it would do better to explain what it is that Michael wants. But I also do kind of genuinely believe that he is tired and he has no fucking clue. But, like, I wish that that could be... Text. Text and, like, yeah, demonstrated a little bit better Mm -hmm. um, in, like, the writing of it. But yeah, that is my read Because it also feels like the show is still, even with this speech, unwilling to fully say government bad, CIA bad. Yeah. And that's the problem is they're always writing this line of like, they almost get it and they see symptoms of the problem, but they're unwilling to say the problem out loud. Yeah. And I think... And that's always going to be a fundamental failing of this show. Exactly. But I'm curious what happens now. Me too. I'm very curious how this Because at this point, he did just shoot that guy. Yep. And I, like... That feels like it's important. Yeah, I think the reason that I was surprised that Card dies right here is that usually when we find out someone's a villain, that triggers an additional, like, thing of having to deal with that. Exactly. Especially when their initial plan for getting rid of the villain fails. Right. And also because Michael doesn't tend to just go to killing, especially when, like, the beginning of last episode is like, we're not the guys that just kill people. Exactly. And no, that's kind of what makes this scene play, is that, like... So yeah, I'm fascinated to know what happens from here because this seems like very bad for Michael. It seems very bad for Michael. Definitely 100%. I don't know if his plan is to now pin it on Gray. No, I don't think he wanted to. I think his his sense of justice was like, no, I don't want, like Gray's been helping me. I don't want him to get pinned with everything. But also he's already dead, so who cares? Yeah, but I don't, that doesn't seem like a Michael West, very Michael Weston thing to do. I, that's true, but I also don't have any other options as to what he would do at this point. He did just, like, shoot, like, a high-ranking member of the CIA. Like, sometimes you kind of just got to do a thing. I guess, I guess we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. You know what's wild about this moment? What? 
It's not the season finale. No, it feels like the thing that is like what would have happened during the Nate. Right. This feels like a better time for Nate to have died. Right. Here's the thing. I don't know what... I don't know how this season ends. Yeah, I'm that, and that's the other thing with Madeline leaving and like the kind of pseudo ultimatum. How many episodes are left in this season? Uh, six. How are there six more episodes left? Like, and then thirteen more episodes. Yeah, in season the seven. thing is that like, I would understand having another season. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll be like the Angel season five, where everything is different and we're kind of settling into our new normal in like an almost total reset. Exactly. That's kind of what I am assuming, and I'm excited for that. But like. I don't know what the rest of the season is. Yeah. The rest again, of the season... Wh- they killed Card. We literally have no other macro plot to do, so what's happening Exactly. Next? And, like, you can run away, but you can't run away for six episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, there has to be, like... And it's a even lot then, of paperwork, and he's like, you know what? I don't want to be in the CAA anymore. This is too much paperwork. But also, like, what is he going to do in the season finale? Like... Yeah, because there's no one that we know in the CAA who's going to give a shit if he's like, I'm out. Yeah, no, it's like kind of, are we going to have a new bad, big bad for the next six episodes? The big bad is bureaucracy. Yeah, but like the show doesn't do that. It needs a phase. Mm-hmm. Like, Maybe it doesn't though. Maybe this is Burnout is finally admitting that the system is bad and like it's Michael extricating himself from the system. Maybe, but like even then, like, because the thing is, this is actually a thing that's actually really difficult when you were telling stories about like the system being bad is that like narratives do really need a face for a villain Mm -hmm. and like especially a show like this Mm -hmm. that very much runs on big bads right and it's like it's gonna be really hard to i don't know if we're going into buffy season six territory Mm -hmm. like wherein like it's just kind of life that's the big bad Um, i'm very curious too it feels like six episodes is not enough for that well, no, because that's, no, this is my thing. That's a weird amount of episodes to have left in the season. Mm-hmm. It's too long to, like, tie up loose ends, mm-hmm. but it's too short to introduce a whole new kind of plot element. Right. Like, a macro plot element. Certainly. Macro plot element, yeah. And I don't know, I am, like, legit, like, I don't know what's going to happen this season, like, for the rest of the episode. And peek behind the curtain, this is our last episode that we're recording for, like, two months. That's true. Like, this is the last episode that we are we, watching okay. and recording in 2021. You are hearing ne- our reactions to next week's episode next week, but Chris and I are going to take, like, two months off for the holidays. Right. I am... It is... So it, it is kind of wild. is a, a weirdly good episode for us to... It is. It's weird that the universe gave us a season finale. I know. <laughs> Like, I don't, I'm legit, I don't know what's going to happen Me now. either, yeah. And I'm definitely officially past the point where, like, even 10 years ago, I was, I don't, I never, no, I, I, I know for sure. I, I haven't known what's been going on for the last, like, two-ish seasons. But, like, there was, an, that, like, there was a possibility that somewhere in the recesses of my brain I remembered some stuff. I know for sure I have never seen any of this. Oh, no, I have not seen any of this. And I've not been spoiled on it. And I am insistent about trying to avoid the spoils. I know yeah. how the show ends, or yeah. I know a part of the th- how the show ends. Not plot-wise, but, like, stupid structure-wise. No, yeah, I have one spoiler, which still has not happened yet. Okay, so we both still have a secret spoiler. Exactly. But outside of that, yeah, I don't know what the fuck's happening. And I'm, like, as much as I've complained about this episode, I'm excited to find out. I am, I'm invested. I am invested as well. So good job, Matt. Yeah. Good job, Matt Nix. 
You fucking not, got us. Not Jason Tracy. Bad yeah. job, Jason Tracy. Yeah. Once again, terrible job, Jason Tracy. This is his second episode in not that many episodes that should not have gone to him. Yeah, I don't know why we have decided that Jason Where's Tracy... Where's Craig O'Neill? I guess I mean, he had two he episodes just, ago. Yeah, no, we just had Craig O'Neill, and that was solid. That was a good one. Was that a great episode of television? I think it was. Uh, no, it was not. Oh. Oh, no, it's just... <laughs> it was a great burn, episode great of Burn Notice. Got it, got it. Because, yeah, this has been a, a season with not a lot of great episodes of Burn Notice... Uh, but there's only been two great episodes of television so far, a Matt Nix and a Ryan Johnson parallelianus. So good on you, Matt. Mm-hmm. Next week is a Ben Watkins joint. The one after that is a Matt Nix and Daniel Touch, who I think I looked up was like a writer's assistant or someone. Oh, that makes sense. Again, he care- he keeps it in the family. He and does. I do enjoy that about Matt Nix. Like, mm-hmm. say, well, that's we why everyone of- likes him. Yeah, we have said a lot of things about Matt Nix on this podcast, I will, like, I fully believe that despite some, like, conservative tendencies in his writing, that he is a good guy who looks after people, and I find that, like, laudable. Mm-hmm. I super, find that endearing. Super very much. Like, I, like, I would genuinely love to meet Matt Nix. I would, too. I, like, I, the like, problem is we've we've set ourselves up for abject failure yeah I he definitely that, knows who we are and it's definitely not a good impression no it's not and i but i do think it's very clear like if anyone listening to this like <laughs> is believes in ta- good faith talks is like has access to matt nix i want to be very clear i like you matt nix yeah I think, I think he seems like a really genuinely good dude i think you're a good dude and, and I'm genuinely invested in your television show, Bird Notice, and I loved it when it first came out, and I have very much enjoyed it in this rewatch, as much as I've made it work for myself. Yeah. So, you know, it's a slightly different way of engaging And again, with it. I think, like, that is a thing that is, like, crucial about understanding our relationship to Bird Notice, mm-hmm. is that we made it a job, and that will always kind of sour you on a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, the moment that you make a thing a job, it makes it, like, less enjoyable. Right. There uh, was there wasn't another reason why you would have rewatched it though, and m- me either. To be no, honest, yeah. But like, uh, I had fond memories, mm-hmm. and I also think it took us a little while to get to this point. Like we, I think we're meaner when we started this show. We were well because we were trying to figure out the tone for we ourselves. Were to, yeah, we were and t- so was Burn Notice, and it was yeah. easy to make fun of in the early days. Exactly, because again, the first season is bad, and the like, second season is not great, great either. either. Like it doesn't really. I think I said this in another episode that like Burn Notice is, feels like it's from an older uh, generation of television that took longer to get good. Mm-hmm. Like it, the first two seasons are bad in the same way that like the first two seasons of like a lot of Star Trek shows are bad mm-hmm. because yeah, like Star Trek was the pull that you used exactly because like that's just how these works. Or like the first couple of seasons of X Files aren't that good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, which is why I haven't been able to get through them. Exactly. Like, X-Files doesn't really get super good till season three either. Burn Notice and X-Files have similar problems with Escalation and Arc stuff. Mm-hmm. Earlier in this episode, mm-hmm. I think, you asked me what podcast I would do instead of after Burn Notice. Well, I asked you that last episode. Or last I was episode. Gonna br- I'm glad you remembered because I was going to bring it back at the end of this. Yeah, I would do an X-Files podcast. There are a lot of X-Files There's podcasts. There's so many X-Files so podcasts. Many X- I don't think that we add anything to that. I don't think we do, but I think like it would be interesting to look at X-Files as like... Because I think X-Files is closer to the kind of show that I like... That is similar to, but I think distinct from procedural television. 
which is a it's more mo- monster of the weeky because I think monster of the week is distinct from procedural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I agree. think like because it's less about the mystery. It's and less about, more about like how we deal with exactly this. and like it's like the mon- mystery is most people don't believe that this is a thing. Yeah, I think like these like monster of the week shows and procedurals are both shows that realize the fundamental tension in the fact that what people want from television is a new thing every week, but also the same thing every week. Mm-hmm. And procedural shows tend a little bit more towards hewing to the same thing every week, mm-hmm. whereas Monster of the Week shows tend to hew more towards a new thing every week. Sure. And so I think that's actually why I think X-Files would be an interesting counterpoint to Burn Notice in the way that like you can kind of compare and contrast these two very similar kinds of shows. That's what I think. I think it doesn't necessarily have to be X-Files. I think that like the best next thing to do for this podcast would be a Monster of the Week show. Yeah, I can get behind that. I think that given, just like on a marketplace level, I think that like, we probably shouldn't, wouldn't do an X-Files next just because, like you said, the market is flooded. It's, like, saturated. There's, like, this, that feels like a thing that people ask us for for several seasons because it, we mention it a lot and then we finally do it. And then it becomes burn-noticed girls do X-Files versus yeah. our next show is X-Files. Right, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the next, the, you know, the, the, the next, the intervening, like, two or three seasons would need to be something totally different. Right, yeah. Or series. I think, I, yeah, I could see that. But, like, I'm very... Because again, I think that is a thing. That like, is the only makes way. Leverage a lot of sense. Leverage makes a lot of sense. But it's a, it's too good of a show to be that interesting to talk about. I'll be honest. I mean, yes, I think there's something. I mean, there's something to talking about good television shows. But I also think Leverage. The only thing that we could say about Leverage is that it's better than Burn Notice, right? Whereas, like, which like, is not an interesting analytical position. Yeah. Whereas, like, I think. Yeah, that's why I'm. Saying something that's more Monster of the Weeky, I think. What are like, other mo- good Monster of the Week shows? I mean, we could do Supernatural. <laughs> I would fucking do Supernatural, but I, there's like so many shows about Supernatural too. Exactly. That's the thing is that, the like, same issue. We should finish the podcast and then just have a conversation. Yeah, have a conversation. <laughs> anyway. Remember, we're allowed to talk off pod. Exactly. We haven't done spy tips yet. Oh yeah, we need to do spy tips. I was trying to figure out where we were in the episode. <laughs> We're really, the vibes are not as, like, chaotic this week, but they're a lot more contemplative. We're tired. We're tired. It's, like, the end of Thanksgiving weekend. Chris was not feeling good. I have done a lot of landscaping video games and cooking this weekend. Yeah. I'm ready for it to be Christmas and to be done with this podcast for a All right. So first we got to talk about spy tips. (sighs) I'm going to tell you right now, there are not enough spy tips. Uh Uh-oh. There are only four here. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, this episode only had six, and two of them were nonsense or nothing. Okay, I don't say they're nonsense because it was more like story stuff. It was sure. like, but like, yeah. So we've got four here. Let's go through them really quickly. Mm-hmm. Even though this episode is not winning on spy tips. Yeah, but maybe you'll c- get something useful out of this. Remember, exactly. this all started because I have successfully avoided getting beat up because of burn notice tips. Anyway, so let's start. Planting false information for an enemy to find is a subtle art. There has to be enough solid information to make it seem credible, but not so much that it can be verified. Do it right and you can make your targets so paranoid they'll be ready to crack. I feel like we've had this before. I think, yeah, we've had this before and also this is nothing. Yeah, this is nothing. They haven't told us how to ride that line. Yeah, so not even four. 
Um, <laughs> most late model watching machines spin at speeds of over 1200 RPMs and create more than 100 Gs of force. That's more than enough to rip off your finger or pull a curtain rod through a couple of layers of drywall. Yeah, this was a cool scene. I liked this whole scene. I don't yeah. know how they leave it. Yeah. Because, like, is someone eventually going to notice, like, hey, it looks like somebody climbed out of Anne's apartment. It's fucked I mean, up. That's I think weird. they'll notice it and they'll go, yeah, it's fucked up. Also, like, I kind of think that this show and this episode thinks that just whatever can happen in the projects. Yeah. Yeah, there's some classism. Yeah. For sure. And some racism. It's America, those things are intertwined. Yeah. When posing as a hardcore criminal, the key is to come on strong as you sit in the power... You sit in the power position in the room and take up as much space as possible. And you never, ever, ever show any respect for the police. <laughs> I forgot about this tip. I, yeah, no, I remembered it. Because it comes right after they all look at Jesse like, ooh, well, who looks like a gangster? I bet it's the black guy. Yeah. Oh, my Is God. this... I mean, I feel like we've had something similar to this, yeah. too. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. It's like, Not be even... rude to the police and sit in a position of power. But, like, what is his position of power? He's just in a diner. I will say it is a good... Actually, no, it's not. I was going to say it's a good tip to our audience to never, ever show respect to the police. But, like, that's actually not true. That can yeah. get you killed. Yeah, no, it's a... Be mean to the police on the internet. Be... Yeah. Probably just try to avoid them in person. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, this is also nothing. Yeah. Like, if he'd given us even, like, one or two things of, like, it's important to t not just take up a booth that's appropriate to you. Like, take off, like, a, a, a family-sized booth for yourself. Yeah. Which, honestly, the love that. I do God, like that. You know what? It's so good to take a big, giant family-sized booth. Even if, like, if it's just like two people, that's great. Oh, God. Just the luxury of the big family-sized booth. Mm -hmm. Love it. Sorry, I wish I was in a family-sized booth right now. <laughs> yeah, diner food actually does sound really good oh, right doesn't now. doesn't it, though? Oh, I my wish we God. could just like, walk across the street. Like, Remember when we used to live near Neptune? And we yeah. just like, go to Neptune Diner at like, yeah, 10 Yeah, it it's a diner, to be very clear. We didn't live near the planet Neptune. No, but the Neptune Diner 2. 2. Yeah, Neptune original. Diner 2 is we live down the street from there. So if you yeah. want to dox us six years ago, go ahead. Yeah. But yeah, it was a 24-hour diner, and we would go there at like 10 p.m., and I'd get an omelet, or we'd get cheesecake and coffee. Oh, God, and it was, it was awesome. so good. It, it was, was great. It was great. Yeah, it was great. The food was okay, but that's, you know, that's it's part diner of the point. Food. Yeah, that's when part I'm, of the point. When I'm craving diner food, I'm not craving good food. No, I'm craving of course not. diner food specifically. Exactly. Anyway, one more here. All right, so the only other possible spy tip, because only one of these has gotten through so far. The two most challenging parts of planting a listening device are quick concealment and power. If your target wears a radio for work, you can kill two birds with one stone by bugging a duplicate power pack and switching them out. Do it right and you'll get a bug that your target carries everywhere he goes. Yeah, I guess this is fine, but what happens when he has a new power pack? I mean... Oh, I guess walkies are usually charged. They're yeah, not... they are charged. Yeah, so that actually tracks. Okay, cool. Yeah. Fine, right. Jason. Two tips. You get two tips. There were, again, there were only six. Yeah. And then, like... Well, because this is a big plot episode, and yeah. those usually have Less fewer tips, yeah. tips. Anyway, so not there's not five practical spy tips. Nope. Was there spycraft over violence in this episode? I mean, um, they didn't... The thing is, is they didn't do anything. They try to trick a guy into doing a legal thing. And he says, no, actually, I'm going to go commit, like, suicide by gangster. And then they explode some cars so he doesn't. And then it just works itself out. It does. There wasn't spycraft or violence. There and was just the, like, nonsense. And then, like, in the card plot, was it? They just, like, surveilled yeah, him. that's true. And then Michael killed him with a gun. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, there wasn't. They no. don't get this one. And we... 
give a lot of leeway to this rule. So the fact that, like, we're saying that this one doesn't get it means something. It really does, because usually, like, even on the worst episodes, yeah, they technically, like, spycraft someone into violence. Like, no, they didn't fucking do anything. Yeah. Everything they did just fucked stuff up, and then they got lucky, and then Michael kills a man. Yeah, that's about it. Um, al- was there an alias? Michael didn't do an alias this week. No, there was a Jesse alias. There was a Jesse there alias. Was, what, sorry, what was his name? J Train. J Train. Which is terrible. Really bad. Really, really bad. And, like, at least they make a point of saying that, like, he's from New York. Mm-hmm. He's from the Bronx and he wasn't getting enough, uh, like, yeah. credibility in the Big Apple, so he came down to Miami. Right. Oh, God. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, that doesn't count. Yep. So it's um, already failed, but let's yeah. go through it. Fee does get to blow something up. Yes, she does. She, she does get those to... cars, and that is actually the best part of the episode. Yeah, that's the uh, bar none the best scene. Yeah. Two good things in this episode. The, like, cars blowing up mm-hmm. and the dr- laundry, the washing machine. I like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that, too. Yeah, that was it. That was about it. Um, but Sam, Pete, Bruce Campbell, Sam was an asshole in this one. Yeah. An asshole who loves cops. Yeah. I don't, that doesn't feel Pete Bruce Campbell in no, me at doesn't. all. Um, was Jesse a distinct addition? I mean, technically, I mean. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, unfortunately yes. Unfortunately, in fact, yes. In fact, they specifically call out that finally, finally, they can do black guy stuff. Yeah. Even though, again, Michael has been a gangster in like every fucking episode. It's his whole fucking thing. Exactly. It's just, uh yeah, no, that was, yeah. like, when that happened, I was like, uh, what? And then the next scene is, like, the worst, you know, dialogue that Jason Tracy could have written, as you pointed out. And I was like, I had to pause the episode and be like, what the fuck is happening? I mean, I also paused the episode just to get an etymology of the word terrace. <laughs> yeah, this, it feels like we've been recording this episode for eight hours, because, like, I just, because I we just watched the episode too, so it just feels yeah. like I've been having to live in this episode for, for so, so long. long. I hate oh it. God. Let's, let's yeah. fucking ripcord. Jesse right. is a distinct addition. Unfortunately, we have to give them that. Does Madeline get a genuine emotional moment? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, she gets two. She gets two. Yeah, so it gets this. Two supporting characters were used well in this. Uh, but that's the only thing it gets. Yeah, so this is, not a gra- this is not a great episode of Burn No, Notice. it's not a great episode of Burn Notice. And it's not I, a great episode of television. I think we could both agree it's not a great episode of television. It's also been like six episodes. It's been seven episodes since there's been a yogurt on screen. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. I don't either. Anyway. I mean, they've been on a run a lot, but I feel like that gives us more fun opportunities to, like, how can we work yogurt? Exactly. Like, if this was psych and they had a real commitment to the bit, they would fucking figure it out. Oh, yeah. No. But that is the thing about this show, Mm -hmm. is that it is not psych. Mm Mm-mm. Honestly, I was actually, I was in Santa Barbara last weekend. Yeah? I specifically went because I was like, oh, we're near Santa Barbara. We should go because of psych. And it's a very cute little town, and I went to the zoo. I also kind of feel that way a little bit. About West Covina. <laughs> I haven't been to West Covina yet. I haven't either. I, I actually do want to go back to Santa Barbara. The zoo is very fun. It's very small. It's a very small, manageable Ooh, zoo. I like a small zoo. Mm-hmm. problem with zoos is that they're too big. All right, let's get out of this let's, fucking episode. We're going to get out of the episode. Thanks to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want more from Vincent, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. Please do. They're great. Otherwise, bye. Yeah, Bye. Happy holidays, which has already happened for you. Yeah. But for us, thank God, it's time. <laughs> <laughs>